relief factor, pain relief that's natural, pain relief that works, and pain relief that attacks the source of the pain. That's the experience of tens of thousands of Americans who are taking Relief Factor right now. See their incredible video endorsements at relieffactor.com and then order your three-week quick starter pack for just $19.95. That's less than a dollar a day. Find out if it can work for you like it works for me by ordering your three-week quick starter pack today. Relieffactor.com, relieffactor.com. Be the next success story. Going deeper on the big issues that matter to you. This is your exclusive podcast, America First, one-on-one, with me, Sebastian Gorka, former strategist to President Donald J. Trump. I give my word with all of my heart. I believe this is the right decision, a wise decision, and the best decision for America. Wise Right and best decision, best decision ever made by any president. That is the man who sadly bears the title President of the United States, speaking after his decision to pull out all military from Afghanistan after 20 years of war. Was it the right decision? Was it the best decision? Let's put it all in proper geopolitical, geostrategic context with somebody I've known for many, many years who probably has created the best unclassified source on terrorism, the terrorist threat, and what is happening around the globe when it comes to the global jihadi movement. It is the Long War Journal, and he is its editor and founder, Bill Roggio. Bill, welcome to America First One-on-One. Well, thanks, Seb. It's great to be on. It's great to see you again. So, Bill, um, this is our opportunity to to talk uh, uninterrupted, long-form discussion on big issues that matter. Sadly, your work is probably more relevant than than it has ever been since you founded the Long War Journal. If you're not familiar with it, seriously, guys, the Long War Journal is what the experts go to to find out what's going on in the jihadi movement, longwarjournal.org. But before we talk about that, before we talk about this recent decision in Afghanistan, what it means for all Americans for national security, tell our millions of listeners and viewers across the country who are not familiar either with you or the Long War Journal your story. So what you did in the past, how you you've served the nation and why you created the Long War Journal. Yeah, it's, a, it's quite a long story. I'll try and give you the uh, one-minute drill here. So, yeah, I founded the Long War Journal in uh, December, or, I'm sorry, September of 2007. I was going to do an embed in Iraq with U.S. military, but uh, prior to that, I was running my own personal blog. I got into um, into this because of uh, my past in the military, studying Al-Qaeda in the 1990s while I was in the military and out of the military. So after 9-11, this sort of became, a, a, uh, I guess, a project of mine while I was working at full time in another field. Um, I moved to it professionally in 2006. I was started embedding with U.S. military in 2005, went to Iraq and Afghanistan with U.S. troops and watched them um, fight. Uh, jihadist groups, insurgent groups in both Afghanistan and, and uh, in Iraq. Uh, the 2000, and then by 2007, I decided, you know, it needed something to, it needed to be a little bit bigger than me because I was, had some other individuals just working with Tom Jocelyn, who's my colleague at, at Foundation for Defense of Democracy. He's also an editor at the Long War Journal. Uh, we wanted to create a more professional site 
to, to house our work and, and to study the jihad. And so that was the birth of the Lone War Journal. And we've been tracking Al-Qaeda, then the rise of the Islamic State. Our website's banned in Pakistan going on, I think, eight years now. It's probably my greatest professional achievement. I know that I've gotten under the skin of the Pakistanis. Um, they don't like our coverage of their support for jihadist groups that attack India, as well as their support for um, the Afghan Taliban and they're killing a journalist, things of that nature. So yeah, we got an eight year ban there that's ongoing. And yeah, we've just been plugging away uh, for, for years and years. Uh, in 2014, I, I was the one, if you've seen a map on television uh, that was showing Afghanistan going red, that's product I started creating uh, seven years ago. So that's what we do at the Long War Journal. We look at issues, we're not like looking for sound bites. We're not looking <clears throat> to you know, to you know, give the hot take on the current jihadist movement. We're looking at these groups in depth, following, following what they say, what they do, put them together, and then look at is U.S. policy towards these groups working or not working? Um, yeah, and that's what that was a big part of what I did with that map for Afghanistan because I began tracking it very early on once we turned over control to the primary control to the Afghan uh, military. I recognized the flaw in U.S. Insert counterinsurgency strategy and the flaw in negotiations with the Taliban. And, you know, look, I'll, I'll tell you this, uh, Sabin, um, you know, when I hear officials say things like well, we could never saw this coming, we had no idea that the Taliban could take over so soon. In late um, winter, early spring, I actually powered down a little bit, dialed back the amount of work I was producing outwardly to, to take a little break because I knew this was coming. I knew when May 1st, that deadline for the U.S. withdrawal camp, I knew the Taliban was going to launch its offensive. And I even predicted that the Afghan government would be lucky to get at, make it out by the end of the summer. Um, and, uh, you know, it all happened. And like you said, it's, it's sad. I, I never more in my life wish I was wrong than I was this summer, but uh, here we are. That's what you get when you when you play it down the middle and you, you look at the try to call the balls and strikes. And um, that's what we do at the Long War Journal. And that's why we have a lot of success tracking these jihadi movements. And uh, just in a, in, in a sentence, the idea that the withdrawal, the retreat, the surrender in Kabul and Afghanistan was the best decision. It was the right decision. Your reaction, Bill? Yeah, I, you know, in some ways. Um, I'm sympathetic to, to, to President Biden being frustrated at the U.S. effort in Afghanistan. But what he did was wrong. And, and the reason I, I'm sympathetic, U.S. military commanders have stood up and told us we've turned the corner. The Afghan military is prepared to defend the country. Um, they told us things like the Taliban is a group that we can negotiate with. This is also coming from government officials. So watching particularly the, the failure in U.S. strategy and the ex execution of U.S. strategy in Afghanistan, if I'm president of the United States, I get the frustration there, but abandoning the Afghan people to the wolves of the Taliban and the Pakistani state, and then to a lesser degree, the Iranians, who all of who supported the Taliban, and in a manner that it was done, um, it's, it was reprehensible. It was something, there was a way if you wanted to leave Afghanistan, you could have left. You didn't have to so, uh, cut a deal with the Taliban that the Trump administration did. You didn't have to honor that deal, which the Biden administration did. There was a, a lot wrong with the U.S. exit. Um, there could have been a more gradual drawdown, letting the Afghans know that we were planning, you know, that we were leaving and we'd help you transition. 
but literally pulling the rug out from the Afghans. We built their military to be wholly dependent on air power to fight. And then we withdrew that air power immediately and expected them to survive. You know, people say the Afghans didn't fight. They wouldn't fight for their country. Uh, more than 66 Afghan soldiers, policemen, and other security personnel have died. 66,000. No, 66, um, 66,000. Yes, yeah. if I said 6,000. Yeah. Yeah. 66,000 have died over the last several years. Let, let's, let's, let's address, let's drill down on one issue straight away. Your reaction, somebody who's tracked this since 2016, who's been embedded, who's worn the uniform of the U.S. military, this idea that this is, this is Taliban 2.0, Bill, they're going to be inclusive. And when you hear the Secretary of State Blinken say, well, you know, they, they, they can be a legitimate international partner, is there any such thing as Taliban 2.0 that's going to be good guys? Yeah, you know, there is a Taliban 2.0. It's just not the Taliban 2.0 that we wished it was. Right. It's, it's worse. It's stronger and worse than the first one, right? It, it, that's exactly right, Seven. I'll just quickly. It, it has, it's a military that's blooded by fighting both the U.S. and NATO and a, a, an Afghan military trained by the, the U.S., one that's won on the battlefield, armed with billions of dollars of U.S. equipment and stocked with supplies of ammunition and other war material with sensitive equipment like high-tech radios and night vision gear. And then when it look at the propaganda side of it, it's it's it outfoxed the U.S. in negotiations and, and with the in the international with the international community it got the u.s to sign a withdrawal agreement and then execute a u.s withdrawal agreement it's gotten other countries to recognize it it's gotten you know it's it's feted by the the chinese and the russians and the pakistanis and the iranians and you know it's been the the islamic uh, ulema council recognized the taliban as a legitimate government so they've got new bodies new nation state actors supporting them weapons recognition by the ulema council could there be a worse scenario in terms of strengthening the Taliban bill? No, I mean, the only the only worst case scenario here is if they, you know, if it opened up training camps for Al Qaeda and other jihadist groups and openly trained them and armed them, that would be it. They're not going to do that because that would probably be a bridge too far and would invite U.S. airstrikes. At least I think. Who knows with this administration? Um, the, the way that the U.S. executed this withdrawal was, you know, certainly if I was the Taliban, I would not be fearful of U.S. action. But that's probably a bridge too far for, for the Taliban. Well, it's it's hard to tell. One of the biggest mistakes uh, we make, uh, and I've told this again and again and again to our intelligence community, is to mirror image, to expect our adversaries and our enemies to think as per our logic, as per our rationale. No, 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 that's not how it works. Whether it's communist China, Vladimir Putin in the Kremlin, whether it's the mullahs in Iran, or whether it's the Taliban that gave succor to, that aided and protected bin Laden 25, 20 years ago, uh, they're not thinking like Americans. We're talking to the founder, the editor of the superlative Long War Journal, longwarjournal.org. You can follow him at Bill Roggio. I advise you to do it right now. Let me stay on this issue, if I may, uh, Bill, of the 
the state of our knowledge in America when it comes to post-Cold War threats. So uh, it was relatively easy. I'm a child of the Cold War, I admit it. I, I miss it immensely because it was so easy. Because back then, to understand how much danger we were in, you, you counted the number of tanks the Russians had and the Warsaw Pact had. You looked at the, the, the speed of their ICBMs and how many uh, subs they had. And that was it. You, you did a kind of cost-benefit analysis balance sheet. Oh, we've got more tanks than them, but they've got Sputnik, and then it's, it's relatively methodologically simple. In the post-Cold War environment, we had to learn a lot. And I'll just share one story with you. You tell me if, if you have a similar experience. So I spent my years prior to joining the Trump administration traveling the country um, teaching people about the ideology of the bad guys. What does Al-Qaeda believe? What does ISIS believe? What do you need to know about it? And there was one moment here in D.C. in an undisclosed location where I was briefing about 50, 60 intel analysts from various agencies in, in the room, and then on a civets, on a secure video teleconference facility, there were outstations across the country. And I start talking about, you know, the difference between AQ and ISIS and so forth. And literally, Bill, I'm about seven minutes in. And one of the female analysts in the room says, excuse me, sir, um, can I ask a question? Oh, sure, anything. And she said to me, this is, a, this is an intelligence analyst with a TS clearance, top secret clearance. What is this Sunni Shia thing? Could you explain that to me? Bill, you, you, you got to laugh because you're going to cry if you don't. Um, talk to us about your experience. You know, the fact that your images, your maps of Afghanistan are the ones that we'll see on TV screens and hearings, you know, on Capitol Hill. How bad has our knowledge of our enemies been in the global war on terror? It's been horrific. I'm going to share a story for you. For you. This was a, sort of at the, when, at the beginning. I remember I gave a talk at, uh, I can't remember, I think it was a conference put together by the National Counterterrorism Center, but don't quote me on that. And I had a member of a, at the, this point, uh, uh, this was probably around 2009-10, and a member of a U.S. military agency comes up to me and he says, hey, I'm the lead guy who, um, you know, I have about 30 people working for me, and we do open source intelligence tracking. And, he's like, and he says to me, how do you do this? How are you gathering all this information? And, you know, at this time we were doing these little like news links updates and little summaries of each country and then writing every day. And I looked at this guy in working, working for the Department of Defense. I can't think of how many millions of dollars this guy has in his budget. And my jaw dropped, at least inside my mind, it did. And I'm thinking, so, so let me be clear for those who don't understand. I mean, when he says open source intelligence, he means he's asking, how do I find stuff out that isn't classified. I mean, th th this is this is the, yep. the the depth of the question. He's not saying how do I reprogram that keyhole satellite to take images of the uh, ISI in, in the Panchero. No, no, no. How do I do what Bill does? How do I do? And he's got the budget inside the U.S. military. I guess yeah. that's why you created the Long War Journal, right, Bill? Yeah, exactly. I mean, literally, I, I thought my immediate thought was, if I had a tenth of this guy's budget, yeah. I could kill the world. I mean, open source intelligence is extremely important. I mean, people who I speak with tell me that my success is because I'm using the information that's available. 
you know, the only difference between a lot of the stuff that is closed source, it's either satellite information or confidential sources, but a lot of the information they're gathering is available in the open source one way or another. And so, you know, that's how we've succeeded at Tom and I've succeeded at the Long War Journal. And it, it's, it's, it's moments like that where you're just wondering what the hell is going on inside of it? What is the GAR government spending money on? And how could you just not figure out how to read the newspaper and process information? This is just basic skills. I don't think you need a college degree to do this. It certainly wouldn't hurt, but it's not required. It may, it may hurt, given what's happened to colleges lately. I'm not sure it helps. Uh, we talked to Bill Roger, a fan of the Long War Journal. Bill, um, we don't have time to, to, to share the knowledge you've accumulated in, in you know over a decade tracking this stuff, but but I, I want to be of value to those that have an interest, especially given the decision in uh, in uh, Kabul with regards to surrendering Afghanistan. Talk to us, give a little bit of clarity on the biggest moving parts of the threat environment. Explain to us the difference, the relationship, and, and the competing interests of al-Qaeda. So where is al-Qaeda today and how it compares with ISIS and this ISIS-K? And then where does the Taliban fit in? Will it, we'll leave the Shia, we'll leave al-Nusra and, 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 and the Iran for a second. Talk to us about the three big pieces of, of, of Sunni terrorism today. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to just take a real quick second to take a broad look at this. When President Biden said the threat has basically metastasized and spread to other areas, he's absolutely correct. This is the failure of our efforts post 9-11 because pre 9-11, the Taliban, the Taliban hosted Al Qaeda and that was the main base for Al Qaeda. That's where they operated openly and ran training camps and whatnot. And they operated at cellular level. Now it's spread out. And there's these insurgencies are the lifeblood of the jihad. They use this. It's this safe haven that exists pre-9-11 in Afghanistan and Afghanistan to today to take the fight to to they want to establish their local emirates, build a caliphate and then take the fight to the West. That's all part of their strategy today. Today, that threat has metastasized across the globe. But that isn't the reason to surrender Afghanistan. And in Afghanistan today, now the Taliban controls the country. Al-Qaeda is its prime ally. Al-Qaeda played a major role in this Taliban's offensive. It's not advertised, but I could, I, you know, I'd have to go into detail and spend, we could do a whole conversation on how Al-Qaeda played a major role in this offensive behind the scenes. You'll just have to take my word for so, it. So, so this is very important. So Al-Qaeda was, was an important part of the Taliban recapturing Afghanistan. That's what you're saying, Bill. Yeah, absolutely. The misconception about al-Qaeda and even the Islamic State is that they're solely focused on conducting attacks here in the United States. That's a tactic. That's something they hope to do. It's something they want to do to, to break our will and to punish us. But how do they achieve that? They achieve that by gathering recruits, training. Because remember, the real goal is to establish a global caliphate. That's what they want. They do that by take their plan is take country by country. So Al-Qaeda did this. They played a major role by helping these disparate jihadist groups that are that are under the Al-Qaeda banner that are from Central Asia and from Pakistan. So groups like Turkestan Islamic Party and Sarula, Islamic Movement Uzbekistan, they inter helped integrate these groups into the Taliban. And that's how the Taliban was able to take over the north. Al-Qaeda has been running training camps inside of Afghanistan. Some of these camps have been raided and destroyed by the U.S. military. Shurabak camp in Afghan in Kandahar in 2015, 
U.S. officials have lied, and this is across three successive administrations, about the status of al-Qaeda in Afghanistan and its relationship with the Taliban. We'll, 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 we'll talk about what they've done and how they've uh, twisted reality, but, but, but let me just jump in here for a second. Bill, how much of a huge, inordinate propaganda victory to be exploited for years is the Taliban taking over Afghanistan from the Americans. Can you can you explain the enormity for them? Not not in military terms, but in terms of ideological messaging. Yeah, look, if what happened in Afghanistan stayed in Afghanistan, we could all just shrug our shoulders and say we lost the brush war. But what you just mentioned here is the real victory. They have a safe haven now, but the message to the to their supporters, to their donors, to potential recruits across the world is, see, you can fight the West and you can beat them. Yes, it takes time and there is sacrifice, but that's what the whole point of jihad is, right? Waging war over long term to achieve Allah's mission. That's what they that's what they fight for. That's what they recruit for. And that's what they, they raise money for. Look what happened in Iraq and Syria when the Islamic State took over an area the size of Britain in both across the border in both countries. Look at the recruiting boon and the propaganda boon the Islamic State had. But the Islamic State was opposed, right? It had the Syrians and the Russians and the Iranians and the, the PKK Kurds on inside Syria and then the Iranians and the Afghan government and the U.S. on the other side fighting the Islamic State. And it still took years to ultimately take away their territorial control. They're not defeated. They're still there. Where's the opposition to the Taliban today? Where does that exist? It's not coming from Pakistan, Iran, Tajikistan, Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan. Those are all the countries surrounding it. This this propaganda victory paired with the safe haven is a massive boon for the al-Qaeda side of the equation. Um, the Islamic State, which operates there, and I, I realize I dodged this on the first the question. Yeah, yeah t- tell us how ISIS fits into yeah. this. We hear about ISIS and ISIS Khorasan, ISIS-K. Are they now in, in, in the minor leagues because of AQ and the Taliban success? It all depends on the theater. In Afghanistan, Islamic State, Khorasan province, it's a minor player. By the way, have anyone noticed that there hasn't been any suicide attacks since the one that killed the U.S. Marines? <laughs> Interesting. Parading their forces. They've had, they have government buildings. They're taking down blast walls. Where are these attacks? Um, anyway, they're, they're a minor group in Afghanistan. Uh, so the let US me just tra- tease, tease, because you raised a very important question. There, there, there's that one suicide attack that killed, uh, what is it, 60 Afghans and then 13 American uh, servicemen and women. Nothing since then. Does that mean that suddenly, magically, ISIS uh, Khorasan is weak? Or does it mean that they realize they shouldn't be attacking the Taliban? Well, it might mean something else. The United Nations started reporting a couple of years ago that the Haqqani network, which is an integral part of the Taliban, it's closely tied to al-Qaeda, that it has been used since the Haqqani network was, I'm sorry, since the Islamic State was defeated by the Taliban, because they're enemies. They, 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 the Islamic State and the al-Qaeda Taliban side of the equation, those two are allies. They, the, the Islamic State threatens the Taliban's primacy of the jihad and its state-building project. Um, uh, the Islamic State wants everyone to swear allegiance to their Taliban. So they fought them on the ground and kicked them out of their last strongholds in, in eastern Afghanistan and Nangarhar province. Since then, the United Nations has been reporting that the, there's evidence that the Haqqani network has been using Islamic State 
um, fighters as cutouts for some of these horrific attacks in Afghanistan, particularly in and in, in around Kabul, attacks that kill, kill civilians, that target um, Shia, that attack hospitals and, and hotels and, and, you know, all these massive attacks because it takes the, the responsibility off of the United States. United, or, I'm sorry, off of the Taliban. The Taliban right, so, so, so let me just clarify here. So the Taliban, which is now, quote, unquote, the government, is exploiting using ISIS fighters as a cutout, as a proxy to attack people they want to attack, like the Shia or like remaining Western symbols, but not take the heat themselves because they're now the government. Correct? Is that is that what you're saying? Yes, I'm not going to. I can't sit here and say that he attacked that killed Marines, that this was the case. But there is evidence that these type of operations have happened in the past. There is, you know, and I, what I suspect is the Haqqani Network co-opted a segment or a, a portion of the Islamic State to carry out, to do its dirt, okay. to give it plausible deniability. Good. Fabulous. This is we, we could discuss this for hours. In the meantime, subscribe for free. Bookmark the longwarjournal.org. Follow Bill. And don't forget, if you enjoy this, the podcast is America First One on One. Subscribe, send the link, share it with others. Give us a review because we are building this new library of long-form interviews to really get to the truth of matters that the mainstream legacy-lying media does not want you to hear. That's America First One on One. Subscribe today. Um, I, 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 don't, I don't rehearse any of these uh, interviews um, I don't do gotcha interviews, so Bill doesn't know what I'm going to ask him next. But um, and you know maybe you don't want to answer it. But y- you've served in the U.S. military, correct? Yes, correct. Who did you serve with? I saw I was in the U.S. Army for four years, and then I did two years stint in the National Guard. And then you were embedded with w- which parts of the military? You you were with the, the American and the Canadian. Who did you embed with in theater? Yeah, I, I with the U.S. Army and Marine Corps in Iraq from 2005 to 2008, and the also embedded with the Iraqi Army in a couple instances in Mosul in 2008, and then with the U.S. Uh, I'm sorry, with the Canadian Army in Kandahar and Helmand Province in Afghanistan. Okay. So let, let me ask, because, you know, I consider you a friend, a true, true expert. I hate the word expert, but you're one of the real ones. And I have to ask you, what do you think about the state of the U.S. military? I've worked with and trained thousands of members of all services, and I love anybody who's below the rank of a full bird colonel. Even even half birds are a little bit dodgy, but but major captain and below or NCOs, especially senior NCOs, the people who are the backbone of our military. God bless them all. Guys with you know eight tours, eight rotations in theater. Talk to us about what you've witnessed since the GWAT and how. Give give us a a grade A to F of how our general flag officer corps have served the war fighters who are actually in the FOBs, actually going out there to hunt down the bad guys? What, what is Bill Roggio's grade? Yeah, I, so the grade for the general officers, let me be clear, I'm talking about the general officers here, and not the, and I'll, I'll say this, Seb, I'll take them from colonel on down. I'm, I'm good. I know, I know some very, very good colonels um, who, who I would make four-star generals tomorrow mm-hmm. and uh, um, but, you know, hey, that's fine. The, the guys, you know, at the colonel and below, they can fight. 
they understand this. It seems something happens when they put a star on their shoulder. And I'm going to grade them overall a, uh, I'm going to give them a D minus because it's hard to say F here. And I'm only doing this because I believe the first eight to nine years of the war were um, well-intentioned, well well fought in some instances, not in some others. But look, you know, whatever we want to say about the surge in Iraq, it did work. It beat back Al-Qaeda in Iraq and, and did achieve a mission. The problem is we left there too soon, just like we've left Afghanistan, so that threatened the project. But the general officers have become politicized. And they, they've done so in a way, it's, it's the general officer corps has, has learned that if it just salutes and says, yes, sir, that it will get the promotions. And it'll even learn that if it lies to the American public and lies to Congress, um, that it'll get those promotions. So let me give you one example here. General Dumford served as the U.S. commander in Afghanistan, and he was the last, he was the commander that transitioned from the, from the NATO mission to resolute support. That's when they transferred control of Afghanistan, uh, the control to the Afghan military and the Afghan government of the security. Um, he, you know, told us everything was fine. Everything was going great. He gets promoted to chairman, joint chiefs of staff, tells us everything's fine. Everything's great. Sign, signs on with negotiations with the Taliban, et cetera, et cetera. You know, how does this happen? And I've seen general after general serve in a failed role, get promoted. And then when they leave, they're guaranteed board positions at, at major companies which I think is a, a very real conflict of interest. They get this while they're collecting hefty pensions from the U.S. military and, uh, you know, with health care and amenities and whatnot. But what I'm really concerned, if, if they receive those things and succeeded at war, I could, pro I could look the other way and say, well, that's part of the graft. The problem is, is they're losing wars. What happened, what we witnessed with the Afghan withdrawal, someone should have been fired and someone should have resigned in that someone planned that withdrawal because what happens is, is the administration says we're going to use Kabul International Airport as the evacuation point and you're only allowed to have 700 soldiers and they salute and say yes sir we can make this happen no one stands up and says we can't do this I can't in good conscience execute this mission Kabul is it, the airport is in the heart of a city with 4.5 million people being flooded with refugees fleeing the Taliban and the Taliban is advancing and we're going to have major problems once that that press reaches the city and once the Taliban enters the city. But the problem goes back before then. They didn't know what was happening when the, on the Taliban offensive while it was happening. When General Miley, the commander of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, stands up and says, oh, the Taliban in mid-June, the Taliban only took control of 40 districts. My map showed the Taliban took control of 120 districts at that point in time. And guess what? My map was right. And but but even that even that statement from Millie, they only took 40 districts. What is yeah. only 40 districts, Bill? Is that supposed yeah. to be a success in warfare? Yeah. No, this is this is what I'm talking about. It's they they just Somebody needed at some point needed to stand up and say, I, I'm going to either we change this or I resign. Right. Generals have that prerogative. They can do so. Secretary of Defense Mattis resigned from the administration when, uh, over the Syria withdrawal announced by President Biden. That was his prerogative to do so. And generals can do so as well. And I would argue the withdrawal from Syria is far, far less of an issue when in Afghanistan, when you have 
A, there is an actual government that you're treaty bound to defend. And B, there's thousands of American citizens seeking to withdraw and see that it's, you know, the Taliban Al Qaeda relationship. So, yeah, this is the the generals. I mean, uh, if it was just the generals, I'd grade it an F. Could I, I'd even go lower and go with a G. <laughs> I think that's great. That's great. Not not an effigy. Um, just just very quickly, you must you must get DMs and emails and texts from all kinds of operators who are just heartbroken about what they're witnessing, given what what they've bled for in the last twenty years. Yeah, it, it's the hard part of this. You know, a lot of these guys have you know they've lost friends. They, 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 dare I say, they're brothers and sisters in combat in Afghanistan. They've made relationships with Afghans and, and others, and they're witnessing this loss. And you know, but you know what? And I'm, it doesn't surprise me. It is heartbreaking. What really surprised me throughout all this, Seth, is the journalists. I've gotten, I usually do a, a TV interview, and it's like, you know, at the end, hey, great to have you. Thanks. So glad to have you back on. I'm like, sure. I've gotten, just happened several times to me where I hang the phone up and get a and get a call back immediately from the producer swearing up and down. We I can't believe what happened here. We have to make them pay. We have you know, they, someone needs to, to pay a price for this. And my response always was, look, I I'm just uh, I, you know, I track this stuff. I'm not in the media. You're in the media. You want to make make someone pay. Keep make this issue burn hot. If not, um, let it drop, let it drop. And I guarantee you, no one will pay. So, yeah, was never, you know, I expected those DMs and those messages from those who've served. Um, but what I didn't expect was this really, really um, outraged reaction from people in the media. And that's they're fascinating. They're, they're outraged offline to Bill Roggio, but they don't actually keep the issue burning. So it's it's hypocrisy all around. Um, please, as a favor to me, if you're enjoying this, if you like one-on-one, if you, if you want to support us, also support those that fight for America every single day, not just in uniform, but here domestically, especially our good friend, the mayor of New York, Rudy Giuliani, America's mayor. They want to destroy him, strip him of his law licenses, bankrupt him, and actually lock him away if they can. Right now, please support Rudy. Go to RudyGiulianiFreedomFund.com. Make a donation so he can keep fighting for the founding principles of this republic. Rudy Giuliani, freedomfund.com. Support America's mayor today. So uh, here's the big so what question, I guess, Bill. What happens next? Knowing as much as you do about the, 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 the universe of the global jihadi movement in all its permutations, Sunni, Shia, Middle Eastern, South Asian, what have you. What If you are a, a red cell officer, if you are in the U.S. Army doing a red cell trying to think like the enemy, what is al-Qaeda going to do in the next year or two? I've had a very sober, incredibly straight-shooting guy doesn't ever use hyperbole on my show one of the best national security guys out there say this is going to lead to more 9-11s and probably bigger 9-11s if you're the bad guys how are you reacting to the withdrawal from afghanistan yeah the issue is safe haven that's what concerns me most and that's what they have um it, it's very clear in the 9-11 report that the terrorist safe havens give them the lifeblood to strike us here uh 
you know, I don't know what their next type of attack will be. And, you know, over the 20 years, we have had success defending here in the homeland. I mean, but do we want to give them the time and space and to breathe and devise their next 9-11 style attack? So there's that. I, I think what you'll also see here, see here is a pivot to, look, one thing, Pakistan has learned that it can use state-sponsored terrorism and succeed and use it against the superpower. If I was the Indians, I'd be very, very concerned. The, um, you know, Al-Qaeda will very likely be being, bringing people in from other theaters to try to teach them the lessons. So this will be more of the issue for the near enemy, for the, 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 the insurgencies in the Middle East and in Africa, where the insurgency is literally and figuratively exploding. Um, but Al-Qaeda will likely be trying to bring people in to train them, to give them the lessons learned, to bring these lessons back to those theaters. So, but yes, I, I do worry greatly. Look, one thing about this Taliban army that we've seen, like the next 9-11 may not look like 9-11, but it could look a lot like Mumbai. And I don't know if the people remember in 2000, November 2007, Lashkari Taiba, which is a Pakistani-sponsored terrorist organization, um, with close ties to Al-Qaeda, Pat Lashkari Taibo's founder was also um, a mentor to Osama bin Laden, and Osama bin Laden helped found Lashkari Taiba. Um, so they, they sent out about 10, I believe it was 10, and they broke up in five pairs of well-trained fighters, and they, they conducted attacks across the city. Some suicide attacks went into hotels, took hostages, executed people, went into a Jewish center. That's... The Taliban now has the hardware, the space they have. And you look at those videos. One of the things I did over the years was document the Taliban's training camps and how they were professionalizing these militaries. When you have that infrastructure that exists there in Afghanistan, I've for the last 14 years, I've been waiting for that next for that Mumbai style attack. And what we saw in Orlando, that was what happens with one person. Yeah. Now, can you imagine if that happens with multiple people in multiple locations across the United States? The, the infrastructure exists to train um, to train Al Qaeda fighters or, or train anyone sympathetic to Al Qaeda's cause to try to do this in the United States. A chilling, chilling thought. Um, let's uh, end on this, uh, Bill. Say uh, the scenario is. Bill Rojo is made the director of national intelligence. What is the first tasking order? What is it that America, our allies, aren't paying requisite attention to that you would make them pay attention to to make us safer? What's the biggest gap in our knowledge? Yeah, I, I would... I'm going to keep this specific to the terrorism field because that's yeah. where yeah. I keep my focus. But, you know, and I, but I think these problems, one of my big concerns, I think these, again, what happens in Afghanistan doesn't stay in Afghanistan. The thought process that is used in Afghanistan is used in other theaters. We need to clear house of the individuals who have come to the idea that we can negotiate with our enemies. But the problem is they didn't view that we stopped viewing the Taliban as an enemy a decade ago. The we being the U.S. intelligence. If you have that type of thinking, that the house needs to be cleared. We need to learn how to recognize our enemies. There was this was when I talk about the failure with the generalship. There was an individual named Carter Malkazian. He's he's been an advisor to General Dunford. He wrote an op-ed in the in Politico a, a couple of weeks ago, maybe a couple of months ago, where he says, 
And this again, this is the advisor to General Dumford as he was both commander in Afghanistan and chairman of Joint Chiefs of Staff. We didn't realize the Taliban were a religiously motivated organization. Are you kidding? Well, what's the uh, are you on- kidding? No, I'm not kidding. The, 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 uh, the, it's in their name, Taliban. They're the students of yeah. Islam. Bill. But this, this is what's infected the thinking within intelligence, within military, within the State Department. I have a friend who talked to CENTCOM about Israel, and he said, well, now that Israel's into this in U.S. Central Command area, it's going to make it a little difficult with, with the Qataris, isn't it? And the response at CENTCOM was, oh, no, the Qataris have been very helpful what they did within Afghanistan by negotiating with the Taliban. The Qataris are playing a game and they're they're ultimately responsible for the rise of the Taliban power and they don't uh, we don't understand this so if I'm director and from president of the United States I'm clearing house of anyone who thinks this way and I'm trying to figure out how to get the right people in the right positions to change the thinking the teaching within these organizations well, it's a monumental task well, it's been infected institutions have been infected with this 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 bad thinking Seb. I didn't I didn't plan it this way but it makes it all the more relevant guys. It's why I wrote my first book. It's what got me on candidate Trump's radar screen and in the White House as his strategist. Sadly, that book is now rele- more relevant than ever. It is defeating jihad. It is the explication of what these people believe, how religion fuels our jihadi enemies. Educate yourself, educate those around. If you know somebody in the military, buy them a copy so they can push back on these dolts, these cretins that still don't understand 20 years later. Go to sebgorkastore.com for all of our America First gear, but especially Defeating Jihad, and you'll get a signed copy. That's S-E-B-G-O-R-K-A, sebgorkastore.com. Bill, uh, how can people support your work? Yeah, come to the Long War Journal. That's longwarjournal.org. Um, yeah, just just read and, and learn. That's what we set it up for. It's no charge. Always believe that information like this is free. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at, at Bill Raggio or my colleague Thomas Jocelyn. Um, can, can they donate? Can they support your venture? Yeah, sure. There's a donate button on the page if you want to donate. We're a nonprofit 501c3. Um, you can you can donate to the cause. That's also great. We we appreciate all your support. Seriously, you. as a guy who's still got his top secret clearance, I'm going to say it right here on national uh, radio and on this podcast. Bill Roger, Tom Jocelyn, probably more valuable national treasures than the 17 intelligence agencies we have in America. God bless you, Bill. Keep doing what you do. I'm Sebastian Gorka. Keep your head on a swivel. Watch your six. Hold the line. Never give up. Never give in. And stay frosty. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com